Welcome, everyone, to The Bread of Life, a radio ministry of Church Partnership Evangelism and the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. I'm Joel Van Hoogen, the Executive Director of Church Partnership Evangelism and the Bible Teacher at The Bread of Life. It is our joy to bring to you teachings from the Word of God. And if you wish to learn more about our ministries abroad, go to traincpe.org. And if you wish to learn more about our church fellowship in Boise, go to breadoflifeboise.org. Today we take a moment to review the teachings of Paul up to the middle of Romans chapter 5 before pressing forward into the text. It was Winston Churchill who famously said, after the aerial battle of Britain, where the Royal Air Force fought off the superior power of the German Luftwaffe, never in the field of human conflict was so much owed by so many to so few. John Stott points out the truth revealed in Romans 5, which brings us to this conclusion. Never have so many owed so much to only one person. What we've seen in the passages that we've been looking at, and particularly in verses 12 through 17, is that we are having revealed to us this idea, this understanding that Adam's one act of disobedience has unleashed a torrent of ever-expanding sin and judgment and death upon the world of men. We see the effects of that sin all around us. You have to just watch it add up. If you just are willing to, you can see it adding up throughout all the annals of history. You can see the same repeated offenses happening over and over again. They happen in the private lives of people. They happen in the corporate affairs of societies. They happen among the rulers of men. You see it happening over and over again, and the hits just keep on coming. Just open up your newspaper or watch the news, and it doesn't matter what slant you get it from. You'll still see these offenses adding up all around us and coming at us, and we can see it. We can see the the truth that through Adam's one offense has opened up this this fissure through which has poured in uh, a a great tide, a, a great Niagara, a waterfall of sin that has come upon us all. But Paul tells us in verse 14 that Adam is a type of the one who was to come. Paul is saying Adam is a type of Jesus Christ, but he's a negative type. He's an inverted type of all that Jesus Christ will fulfill in the positive. He's the opposite of all that Jesus Christ does and will do. Where Adam starts a race of those who by his sin and because of his fallen nature and inheriting that fallen nature, he starts a race of corrupted and sinful individuals, people who are made sinners because of Adam's sin. Jesus proposes to start a new race of those who, by his one act of supreme obedience, having lived a perfectly righteous and simple life, and then in obedience to God the Father, laying down his life for us upon the cross, would purify himself, not those who are now were made sinners through Adam, but now are purified and made saints through Jesus Christ. Adam began a successive and expanding legacy of judgment and condemnation and death. Jesus begins an expansive legacy of grace and blessing, and life. Verses 18 and 19 point us to this great reversal that's taken place. And so just as you're looking now in your Bible, verses 18 and 19, what you see is that whereby Adam began this kind of parade of mounting evil that is all around us, for all of us are born out and have been born out of Adam's first sin, and we've all, by the way, in our own sins, paid that sin forward into the next generation. Yet at the same time, we see that by faith, We are being encouraged to believe and understand. Although Adam has begun this mounting procession of evil and sin, we're told that by faith, now we can begin to see and begin to envision and begin to unhold this idea 
of a new world that the Lord Jesus is bringing forward and that is coming. And this will be an earth that will be filled with an abundance of those who are not under the judgment of death, but those who instead have gained the possession of a justified life, a life right with God, and a life that remains right with God. And that's the vision that's being given. It's kind of a hard vision to have in your mind. It's not what you're seeing. It's not what you're adding up. It's not how the score seems to be running and going right now in the trajectory, an ongoing trajectory of the world as we see it today. We see things down, winding down to an awful conclusion. And yet, Paul says, no, there's something else. There's a different vision to understand here. By Christ, one great act of obedience, there is now mounting up a gaining of momentum of a day that is going to arrive in which the prophet spoke about this. The earth shall be as full of the knowledge of God as the waters of the sea. That the waters of the sea that would one day, if we imagine if they all covered the earth and inundating Noah's time. At the same time, if you could understand that in this day, in this age, that now there's coming an age coming in which the earth will be flooded with the knowledge of God and the experience of God. That's what's being introduced to us. That's what we're being called to believe and set our hearts and our hopes upon. And now as we look at the world, we see that because of Adam's one act of disobedience, and we see this in, in verse 19, we're all born sinners. We're all made sinners. We're all made of this infected clay of sinful flesh. You remember that David in Psalm 51, when he confessed his sins, said that surely he was conceived in iniquity. Well, he wasn't in a sense present in that moment, but he's just indicating that this flesh that he inherited and that was passed on to him is a sinful and decrepit flesh. It, it resides and it moves and pulsates through all the cells of our fallen being. And that's what we were made and that's what we inherited from Adam. But we're being told now by faith, as we place our faith in Jesus Christ and his one act of supreme obedience, living that sinless life and laying that life down and sacrifice for our sins, we may be made righteous completely righteous before God. So powerful is this salvation that is at work through the Lord Jesus Christ that one day it will prevail over all the forces of sin and death and all those forces that we see now ruling over the age in which we live and that this free gift of salvation will work in such a way that one day it will repeal all of these things and will draw all the world into an age and to a time of perfect righteousness in Jesus Christ. Particularly now for us, we may experience this reversal. We may enter into this reversal by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And so the very first words of chapter 5 are, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. That's, by the way, something that Paul has said multiple times throughout the book of Romans. And Paul is getting back to it, and Paul reemphasizes that in verse 17. Look at verse 17 here, he says, For if by one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more... Those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. There's another statement of that faith that begins to bring about this reversal. And although, and I'll speak about this next week, something about how that reversal is to take place in an eschatological fashion, how it's to take place in the age to come, we're to recognize and understand that the power that brings it about can be operative in our lives right now. That that power that will one day transform the face of all God's creation can transform our lives, our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ alone. And that's what Paul is getting at. Now, this is a tremendous change. This is a great reversal. It's a reversal of all the corruption that we see in the world and all the evil that we see abounding around us. And, you know, we become aware of this more and more as we go along in our lives. We see it more and more. And it's hard not to become 
cynical of the environment around you and the world you live in as you begin to see the mounting up of sin. And, and there was a time in youthful enthusiasm which we trusted our own individual powers to overcome those things. But as life goes by, we recognize it's not in myself. I might become a little more trained and I might be develop a little better patterns, but the fact that it's still in me, these impulses, this tendency towards sin, that tendency towards sin that is seemingly thrusting our world into darkness. And the thing that we're being asked to believe is that there's a reversal that's coming to us, coming to us and coming to the world through Jesus Christ, a tremendous reversal that's being sent to us now and can be sent to us in a heart of justifying faith and deep trust that God has loved us and God has given his life for us and God would redeem us through his work. Let's look at verse 6 through 10 again, just in terms of reviewing this passage. Here we see that Paul is expressing to us the profound love that God has expressed to us through his son, Jesus Christ, in dying for our sins. In verse 6, we see here that Jesus Christ has come to us when we were weak. Go back to Romans chapter 5, verse 6. Here Paul writes, When we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Now, if I understand this, we're being told here that the Lord Jesus came and found us and delivered his life for us and gave himself in death for our sins when he discovered that we were ungodly, not like God in any way, broken, fallen, tarnished in our sin. And the Lord Jesus came to us when we were transgressors and sinners who were willfully rebelling against him. And the Lord Jesus came and died for us. The, the prime word here that's being emphasized over and over again is his death for us, that he gave his life for us, that he shed his blood for us. He came and he gave his life for us when we were under the wrath of God, under the judgment of God and, and deserving of the wrath of God, pronounced as condemned sinners. That's what it's saying here. And then we see here not only that, that he has identified us, individuals who he gave his life for, as enemies of God, ungodly, sinners, facing the just wrath of God, enemies of God. And God loved us so much that he gave his life for us. The Bible actually says that when God came to us and he identified us in the way to die for us, he chose to interact with us in this condition, without strength, incapable of saving ourselves, not simply as the ungodly refuse of the fallen, broken image of God, not simply as defiant transgressors to his will, not simply as those who are identified as condemned and deserving of his wrath, not identifying and interacting and engaging us as enemies of God, but he mercifully comes to us and engages us as they can't save themselves. They're without strength. Such is the love of God in giving Himself for us through Jesus Christ. And it's through that great act of love and giving His life for us and laying down His life for us that He begins to reverse the tendency and the order that is going up and mounting up in the world because of the sinful act of Adam. Back in 1812, in February of 1812, there was an earthquake along the New Madrid Fault that's down there along the Mississippi River. And it was said that it was so powerful that it formed an 18-mile lake. And those who labored along the Mississippi said that the Mississippi River began to flow backwards. 
began to flow backwards. Now, what we're being asked to believe is that the great flow of sin that we see like that massive flood, that massive Niagara that is coursing through all of creation, and we see it all around us, we're being called to believe that in the cross of Jesus Christ, something has taken place, and a a back current has developed, and that one day all of creation and all the peoples of the earth will magnify the beauty of Christ in His own perfect righteousness and goodness. And that's coming now. If you can believe that, I mean, if you can believe that, then you should be able to believe that Christ has done everything necessary in the cross to make you right, to wash you and cleanse you and transform you and deliver you. And if you believe that through that work of the cross, he has begun this great work that reverses all the flow, Paul says, that Adam initiated, and now as a negative, and Jesus as the positive, in an abounding way, is bringing his life and his power, then you might believe that he has the power to save you, and you would also believe that you can add nothing to that salvation. You can add nothing to what he's going to bring to this earth, There are all kinds of individuals with their desire to perfect and make the world better. And the Bible does say that the Christian is like salt and light. We are like this preserving influence. What we do is we slow the decay. That's what salt does. We slow the rot of this world, but we don't reverse it. Once it's dead, it's dead and it's just rotting. But there's Savior who's died for us, who's coming and His work reverses it all. Thank you for joining us at the Bread of Life where we gather to feast on God's Word. If these messages are feeding your soul, let us know. Go to breadoflifeboise.org and follow the links to contact us with a message of encouragement. Until the next time, may God bless you.